Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Positively Dog-Powered. I want to start off by going over some admin stuff and thanking a few of you. Several of you jumped on and supported our merchandise store, bonfire.com forward slash positively dog powered. I want to thank you for supporting us and helping us cover our podcast hosting fees. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support it and wear some cool swag while out on the trails with your dogs, you can head over to bonfire.com forward slash positively dog powered. We also will be giving away some free merchandise. If you have been enjoying the podcast and would like to leave us a five-star review on Apple, then you can head over there and leave us one and be entered into our raffle for a free merch giveaway, which we will be drawing for later in the summer. I also want to take a moment and thank our new patron, Becky W., who has joined for some special behind-the-scenes training And the next two episodes are going to give you some great behind-the-scenes stuff because we're talking about summer training, safety, and canine fitness plans. I, like many of you dog-powered sports enthusiasts, live in an environment where we have some serious summer heat and humidity. And it prevents me and my dogs from being able to get outside and enjoy dog-powered sports at the same capacity. So my winter is normally filled with a lot of canicross and bike drawing, but in the summers, we just can't do it safely. And certainly I'm not sad at all about missing out on months of fun. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit, but I just live in a warm climate, right? I really do, though, enjoy this change of pace that the summer gives me. It really gives me the ability to mix things up to reevaluate my training plans, fine-tune some details, but it really does force me to get active in a different way and very creative because I have to keep my dogs fit while staying safe from the summer heat. Because when the fall temps begin to drop, the ability for me and my dogs and you and your dogs to jump back into dog-powered sports quickly depends dramatically on how you spend your summer. Because with enough fitness in our summer routine, you and your dog are at risk of injury, jumping back in too quickly. So how do we spend our time in the summer being productive and still keeping our dogs safe? The good news is that there are a lot of ways to do this, and I hope that you'll get creative with me. Because in the next two episodes, we're going to be breaking down training that you can do at home in the air conditioning without a lot of money, without a lot of equipment that will really impact your dog's fitness. We're also going to talk about training for some behavior challenges, like your dog not really responding to cues on the trails like we thought, or maybe some fear or reactivity. And we're going to dive into some ways that you and your dog can get out safely without concerns of heat and still keep them nice and fit for all your dog-powered sports. But before we dive into all of that, and how you and your dog can have a summer full of fun, I want to first thank this episode's sponsor by sharing a personal story with you. Many of you know that I'm a professional dog trainer, and my business, Positive Futures, was running really successfully. Our pricing was competitive, and we were really serving our pet dog community well. 
Yet my own happiness and fulfillment was just lacking. I felt like I was working all of the time, was always really busy, and I was getting burned out fast. I really enjoyed trading, but it was just lackluster teaching basic manners and behavior cases all day long. I felt stuck. But how do you ask for help when you don't even know what you're looking for? That's when my friend Paula invited me to her 90-day dog trainer business coaching program. As a professional dog trainer herself, she knew exactly what I was going through and how to help. Her approach and the tools she gave me helped me easily get out of the rut that I'd created, and it changed my business and my personal life. I now schedule plenty of me time and developed new online courses, including our dog card sports course, which I helped myself back from for a long time. Thanks to her program, I have so many new tools in my business, and I feel confident in the direction that it's heading. So if you're a professional dog trainer and you're looking to get out of a rut and really thrive doing what you love, Paula is offering a one hour power hour of coaching for free for all of our listeners. So head over to her website, paulanowak.com forward slash dog powered sports podcast to get signed up today because you deserve the support. Now let's talk about those summer training plans. Generally, when we think of training and dog-powered sports, we think of physical work. And while we're certainly going to dive into that a little bit, I want to first challenge you to think more about basics, like you'd think of manners or obedience, teaching specific skills. Summer is a great time to go back to the basics of those skills. Because you and your dog's success on the trails in the fall and winter depend on their ability to pay attention to you, to respond reliably to all those cues with distractions, to be comfortable and confident in new environments or busy environments, to be comfortable in the car or crate traveling. And all of that comes down to training. So as we reflect on the last year, I want you to write down three good things because we also need to focus on the positives and three areas that you could use some improvement. And we're going to spend our summer developing some training plans to improve that. Some common challenges that I see recurring in social media groups and threads and with my own clients include confidence for our fearful dogs, maybe dogs worried about new environments or worried about other people, our dogs that might be overwhelmed or overstimulated and reactive on the trails, our dogs that could use some direction response. Maybe we thought they knew that on by, and yet they proved us wrong as they drug us off the trail after some birds. Or even the dog that performs pretty well, but you just don't feel connected with. Those are all challenges that we can solve with training. So let's dive in. When we talk about dogs that might lack confidence or are fearful, generally you see this quite a bit in their body language. You might see clusters of stress signals like a dropped tail, dropped ears. Maybe they're a little bit hypervigilant when they go new places, or they even can't respond to any cues that you give them. This can be really specific, like dogs that are worried about the car and travel, or it could be dogs that really have a hard time adapting to new environments. When we're working with our dogs with confidence issues or our dogs that are afraid of a lot of things, we really need to be patient and we need to be consistent with how we help support them. It can be easy for us to get frustrated if a dog doesn't do something that we ask, 
But if the dog is struggling with confidence, then we really need to be careful about how we communicate with that dog because increasing our frustration, even in our tone of voice, can further negatively impact the dog. We need to find ways instead to make all the games really fun. We want to keep our training sessions really short, and we want to do lots of things at home and outside of the home that encourage curiosity. So one thing I really like to do with fearful dogs is play the what is that game. And you can start by practicing this at home. Take something that they are not going to be afraid of, like a food bowl or even one of their stuffed animals. Present the toy in front of them or even just put it on the ground. And when your dog looks at it or sniffs it or moves in its direction, you're going to click or say yes to mark that behavior and then deliver a treat. So you're just reinforcing the dog for looking at the item or engaging with the item. When you can repeat this process and it becomes predictable, then you can put it on cue. So as you place the object down or point at it, you could say, what is that? Your dog sniffs it, checks it out, you click or say yes to mark the behavior and deliver a treat. So not only are you encouraging your dog to check things out, but you're putting it on cue, which is really helpful when you get into environments. So let's say you're headed out for a little bit of park walking and you come across a playground and your dog's pretty worried about everything in the environment. You could say, what is that? And encourage your dog to check out the sand pit that looks like a giant turtle, right? Or what is that? And ask them to check out the park sign. And by encouraging them to interact with the environment and allowing them opportunities to earn reinforcement, you're helping boost their confidence because they're learning that things around them, in fact, are not quite as scary as they thought. And you're boosting your relationship because they're figuring out that they can trust you. That thing isn't actually scary. Depending on how fearful your dog is or how worried they are, you'll need to be really careful about the environment. We always want to do what we can to set up an environment that the dog can be successful. So with our worried dogs, this often means pre-screening environments and times of day, I wouldn't want to take a dog that's worried about children to a skate park with a bunch of children because that would be too overwhelming. However, we could go to that park on a quiet day and stand 200 feet away while there's one person playing in, in the park. That decreases the intensity of it and makes it a lot less scary. So your dog can look from a distance. So another thing with dogs that might be nervous about their environment is I like to boost confidence by encouraging interaction, not just with the environment, but also with new surfaces and equipment. So teaching a skill like pause up or all four feet on and off is a really helpful trick. You can start this inside with a couch or a step or platform to teach the dog to put their front feet up on an object and then all four feet up. And these are separate behaviors. So for paws up, you want to start with something that's low to the ground and very stable. So again, a step up onto your house, front porch, or deck, or even a curb. Use a piece of food to lure or guide the dog up on the curb. And when the front two feet are up on the elevated surface, you'll click or say yes and give a treat. Repeat this process a few times until the dog feels comfortable, and then you'll put it on a verbal cue so that you could say, pause up, guide the dog up into position, click and treat. You'll do the same thing with teaching on, but this time guiding all four feet up on the object. This is something you can do at home and is excellent to tie into a fitness routine 
which we will get more into later. But it's also a great way to use a trick or a skill that the dog knows to boost confidence because you can change which item is underneath the dog, encouraging the dog and reinforcing the dog for interacting with more and more things. You can do this at home with couch cushions, dog beds that wobble a little bit, balance discs, and even rocker boards. And you can do this on walks with curbs, park benches, platforms, playground equipment to help them learn how to interact with the environment and how fun and rewarding it can be. If you have a dog that is avoiding you to put on a harness, because that's another challenge with our fearful dogs, spending time breaking down that concept is a great thing to do. We can put it on cue with the cue, get dressed, and teach the dog to stick their own head in through the front of the harness, which can help decrease a lot of stress for the dog. Remember that working on these fear challenges are really important because every component of our dog-powered sports should be fun. And if it's not, then we can very easily get down a dangerous road of the dog eventually not wanting to do this fun, awesome sport with us. We also want to look at our dogs that might struggle with reactivity. In some of the earlier episodes, I sat down with friend and fellow professional dog trainer, Allie, and we talked about dog reactivity on the trails. But what about dog reactivity in the neighborhood or at a local park? The summer is a great time to work on some of those foundations, teaching your dog how to walk on a leash, how to stay relaxed and settled in new environments that could be exciting, and working on that reactivity. So it's important for you to identify any triggers that might get the dog a little overaroused or overstimulated and put them on a list. I like to start with the list and rank them from least triggering or least stressful all the way to the most. And that'll give you a really great guide to what you can work on. Try to pick environments that are relaxing where your dog's not going to be overwhelmed by a ton of triggers all at once. So something like a park on an off day, maybe it's cloudy or even rainy. Or your neighborhood after that evening rush when everyone is then sitting down for dinner instead of walking their dogs. By thinking ahead of time about the environment that you're going to take your dog to work on this and planning it down to day of the week and time of day, you really can go a long way in setting your training session up for success because we don't want the dog being so overwhelmed by all the triggers. Working on reactivity is not exposure. It does not mean that we want to get our dogs out in the busiest of environments and allow them to just get used to it. That will cause more harm than good. Instead, we want to pick environments that we think there's a good chance they could be successful. And that might mean starting in our driveway and being able to hide behind a car when too many distractions walk past. Picking quieter parks, quieter days, highest value treats, and a good hungry dog is a great chance to set yourself up for success. Keep enough distance from these triggers while you're in the park and work on a program to help your dog with desensitization and counter conditioning. My favorite that we talked about in the reactivity is the look at that, look at me program, often referred to as lat lamb. It's a really easy way for you to work in environments where some triggers are gonna be present. You reinforce the dog for looking at the trigger and then you reinforce the dog for turning around and checking back in with you. Over time, what this can do is teach the dog that the sight of these triggers means that they can turn around and check in and get cookies. And if you're thinking, well, I don't want my reactive dog turning around and looking at me while we're doing dog-powered sports, don't worry. 
you can get past that. The dog won't necessarily be turning around and checking in. But if you're in those early stages of reactivity, it's also something that you can move off the trail, let the trigger pass, and work on this until you're back to a safe place to start running again. So spending some time narrowing in on those triggers and really working on your dog's reactivity can set you and your dog up for a lot more fun on the trail this fall and winter. Another thing to work on with your dogs that might be reactive or easily excitable in new environments and around distractions is to work on the concept of relaxation and calmness around new environments and around other dogs. For many of our dogs, going to the trail, especially particular trailheads, and going to race environments can be really exciting for them. You can help give yourself an edge by working on relaxation in these exciting environments. I teach a skill like settle on a mat or go to place in home and then practice in a few familiar environments to get the dog comfortable with practicing in new places. Then I take it with me to the park. These parks normally mean that the dog gets to run and be around friends. And while that sounds great, and I certainly want my dog to be excited when we go to do all of these things, being overly excited and having too high of an arousal level can actually negatively impact your dog's performance. It can decrease their ability to respond to cues, and it increases the likelihood, especially for our reactive dogs, of their becoming a problem if they come in too close a contact. So there's a fine balance between excitement and too much arousal. But working in new environments can help your dog generalize and learn how to pay attention and relax in these new places. Bring a chair, sit on the back of your car, and just hang out. Reinforce your dog for relaxing on the bed, and then you could reinforce them afterwards by going for a nice walk. This is something really easy that you can practice if you're headed out to pick up some groceries or go for an errand. Bring the dog along and practice for five or 10 minutes before you leave the new space. If your dog does not have a lot of experience with relaxation and adjusting quickly to new environments, this could be challenging for you in the beginning. You might find that it's easier to take your dog on a walk first before you practice the relaxation. You might need to have a high rate of reinforcement or reinforce your dog frequently in the beginning to let them know that it pays to chill. As distractions get closer to you, remember that you'll need to increase how frequently you're reinforcing your dog. And if you need to, remember that space is your friend. The closer you are to all of these distractions and the activity, the harder it's gonna be for your dog to relax. So the first few times that I set up this exercise, I'll park in the quieter part of the parking lot towards the back or go to the quieter part of the park to make sure that it's gonna be easy for my dog to be successful. The more you practice this, the more you can work on increasing the amount of time that the dog has to remain relaxed before they get to get up and go do something. You can also work on decreasing how much reinforcement the dog needs. Remember to keep an eye on their stress signals, especially for those dogs that are reactive. We wanna make sure that they're comfortable and not stressed out during this process. If you notice that your dog is really struggling or is being reactive, then it's probably a good idea to take a quick break and try to figure out how you can make the exercise easier. And again, generally this would mean trying to find a quieter place that you can get away from those distractions just a little bit and increase how much you're reinforcing. If you have a dog that is young and struggles with duration activities, you might even find bringing along something like a bully stick, a bone, or a frozen Kong can help improve the overall experience for both you and your dog. 
but with a little bit of practice, this will help your dog not only get comfortable and relaxed in new places, but it can help your dog adjust quicker, which will help you improve your dog's performance, both on training runs at new parks and at events. Another great way to spend your summer is to look at how your dog responded to directions over the last season. So were there any directions that your dog was having a hard time with? Right and left or G and haw? Whoa, that's an important one, especially for moving faster on wheels. And probably the most challenging one that people have a hard time with is working on our on-by or passing distractions. This is something that oftentimes the dog runs so well that we just hope a big enough distraction doesn't pass, but we often jump past those foundations. And even if your dog can pass a lot of distractions, but was having a harder time towards the end of the season, there's no reason that you can't break this skill back down and work on it over the summer. You can set up distractions in your house, on a neighborhood walk. You can even bring distractions with you and set them up at the trailhead. It's a great way to fine-tune those on-by skills. What I like to do is set up a distraction that the dog can be successful with. Remember, your goal is not to challenge the dog so much that they just drag you towards the distraction. That's counterproductive. That's not what we're trying to work on. Instead, find a safe distance that your dog can pass the distraction and find a distraction that's interesting enough that they look at it and check it out, but not so interesting that they're dragging you towards it. As you approach the distraction, you'll give your cue on by, encourage or help the dog pass the distraction by using your own body motion or even secondary noises like kissing sound. And as soon as they make that decision to pass the distraction, that's when you're going to click or say yes and give them the treat up ahead. This way, the dog is learning that on by means that better things are going to happen after they pass the distraction. And as the dog does well, you can get closer to the distraction and even work on increasing the value of distractions, all the way up to being able to pass other teams and critters. And remember that if your dog's having trouble passing other dogs, but isn't reactive, this is a great thing to practice on walks. You can work on using your on-by cue and even getting together with some other friends, putting on a collar or a regular walking leash, and work on those passes leapfrog style. The other thing in terms of training that summer is really great for is getting involved in other sports. So many of my friends that are trainers and dog enthusiasts that enjoy dog powered sports all fall and winter also spend the summer building other sports like rally obedience, freestyle, nose work, barn hunt, fast cat, dog diving, agility. All of these other sports have so many other benefits that transcend those sports into dog powered sports. You can improve your dog's overall fitness, cue response, and most importantly, improve your connection and relationship with your dog. Our dogs do so much for us. And one of my favorite things about dog-powered sports is that you're really, truly connected as a team. You are as strong as the other is. But having a nice, strong connection and being able to be athletic and fit together also means that you guys trust each other and communicate well and understand one another. And you can learn a lot about your dog simply by getting out of your wheelhouse and working on something different. And it's interesting for your dog too. Mixing things up not only improves their interest in it and their overall intelligence and trainability, 
but it gives you guys a new way to learn more about each other. Canine nose work or scent work is an easy one that you and your dog can start at home without a whole lot of fancy equipment. A lot of us get cereal or pasta that comes in boxes. A lot of us also get Amazon items delivered right to our door. And you can start as easy as just putting some food in one of those boxes. Teach your dog to sniff for the food. And when they find it, click or say yes and give them some more treats. As they do well, you can start to increase the number of boxes. So maybe my food is in box number three, but box one and two in front of it are empty. This way, my dog has to pass the empty boxes in search of the food, they find it, and then they earn reinforcement. This not only really tires the dog out and gets that brain working, but it's also a really great way to promote more independence. And that's really beneficial for our dog-powered sports because we need a dog that can think and make decisions on their own. Nose work is also really interesting because it gives the human a new skill set that we often don't have quite as much in other dog sports, and that is observation and patience. A lot of people, when they do nose work, will stand stationary and just let the dog go find it, and it teaches the dog how to be an independent worker and teaches the human how to really let the dog think on their own and observe that body language so that when you see a change in them and know that they've found it, you can mark and reinforce. So the dog is doing a lot of the work on their own, which can be really hard for us. If our dogs don't get it right, we want to help them get to the right solution. But sometimes letting them figure it out is the best thing for them. Nose work also gives you a really great way to expand because you can certainly go beyond just containers. You can work up to multiple containers. You can work to interior searches where you're just hiding the food on a shelf or even outside where you go hide some food outside, tell your dog, find it and let them figure out where the food is hidden. So there's lots of opportunities for growth with this one. And like I said, you don't need a ton of stuff to get started in it right away. Now, something that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about dogs with maybe some fear or confidence issues, I mentioned paws up and all four feet on and being able to take that skill out into the real world. This is something that I actually do with dogs that also don't have fear concerns because it's a really nice way to just mix up your routine, give your dog something different. By working the brain and the body out on a walk, you can take something which might not stimulate the dog quite as much, especially if you build up a bunch of muscle and energy over the winter, and it can turn that normal walk into something a lot more interesting and a lot more tiring. You're also really helping your dog learn that interacting with you and paying attention to you in a variety of environments is really beneficial which will definitely transcend into your dog-powered sports. So one thing that you can look up is dog parkour. Uh, if you don't know what human parkour is, please look that up too, because that's mind-boggling. But when we do it with our dogs, safety is definitely a key concern for us. I'm picking things that are stable, where the dog's not going to fall through any grates, and things that aren't so high that when the dog jumps down, they're getting a bunch of impact. But the good news is, most of the things in our environment are perfect for that, whether it's in a city park or neighborhood or even out on the trail and you encounter a tree log. You can work on things like paws up, which is just those front two feet, all four feet up or on. You can also work on over and under with something like a tree or a park bench. You can also work on 
things like backing up onto the object. So there's a variety of ways that your dog can interact with objects. The key is safety and making sure that you're teaching those skills at home in a low distraction environment before you try to take them out on the trail. And the last thing that we're going to talk about today with our training is a dog's ability to remain controlled and thoughtful, even when they are easily excitable. Lots of our dogs are quite impulsive. They see things out in the environment and get a little overly excited. And a lot of our training has to do with teaching the dog how to be calm with distractions to keep that arousal low enough that the dog can still successfully respond to cues. And this is huge because if the environment is too overwhelming for a dog, their ability to respond to a simple cue like whoa or stay or line out changes dramatically. So one thing you can spend your summer doing, which works both inside and out on the trail and out in public, is working on your dog's ability to control their excitement. So this could be something like teaching your dog how to leave it. For this, I start with food in my hand and generalize it to other objects. I teach the dog that when I hold something out and cue leave it, the dog should turn around and look at me instead. From food in the hand, we go to objects in the hand, and then you can advance to a dropping leave it, where the object falls from the ground, and even a walking leave it, where the dog has to walk past the distraction. I also like to work on waiting at doorways, thresholds, and crates. This is a great skill that will benefit you when you are traveling with your dog for races and events, teaching them that they remain inside even when the door opens until they hear that release cue. It's a great safety feature because you need to be able to grab your dog's collar or harness before you give them that release cue and let them out. The last thing that we want is losing our dog accidentally when we're just headed out for some dog-powered sports fun. Start inside at a threshold that's going to be the least distracting for them, like a door into a closed garage or even the door from the hallway into the bedroom. Once they understand the concept of remaining stationary, then you can work on generalizing and increasing distractions by practicing at doors that lead to the outside. Whenever I'm working on those doorways that lead to the outside, I always make sure that I have a harness and leash on the dog for safety, just in case they accidentally mess up and break through that threshold before I'm ready. Again, we don't wanna lose our dogs and have them run into the street. You can also work on teaching your dog how to wait for a bowl. You could send them to place or settle, or even just wait as they remain seated while you put the bowl down. And as the dog gets more advanced with the skill, you can work on adding a little bit of distraction with you moving around the kitchen before they hear that release word, or even duration where they have to wait for longer periods of time. These exercises are easily fit into your normal routine with your dog. You can practice these things each time you walk out of the door to go on a potty break or go for a walk. You can practice these when you are working with your dog outside on leash as you see another distraction on the ground. When dogs are easily excitable, you wanna think of it like lifting weights. If I went to the gym and tried to lift a bunch of weights tomorrow, I'd probably struggle a little bit. But the more consistent I am about going to the gym, the easier it's gonna be, the better my form is gonna be, And I'm going to be able to lift heavier and heavier weights without an issue. 
That's like what excitability is for our dogs. The more areas we can practice teaching our dogs how to maintain composure and focus around these distractions, the more consistent we are with reinforcing those good choices, the easier it's gonna be for our dog and they're gonna get better and better. This will improve your experiences while you're out with your dogs dramatically. So take some time this summer and think about what things in the real world get them really excited and try to do some structured setups with your dog both at home and outside of the house to really help them fine tune their focus and excitability skills. So go ahead, grab some paper, grab a pen, or pull out your phone and your notes page and start taking down some notes. What skills does your dog need some help with this summer? Do they need to work on their reactivity or their fear issues? Do they need a little bit of help with controlling that excitability and those impulses? These are the things that you want to spend your summer doing, improving their training so that when the next dog-powered season comes for you, your dog is going to be much more focused and composed on the trail. I want to thank again our sponsor for this week's episode, Paula Nowak Coaching. If you're a dog trainer and you need a little help, be sure to head over to her site and we will post that link in the show notes. And make sure that you tune in next episode because we're going to be talking about canine fitness and how to make sure that even with the heat, your dog stays active and you work on building their cardiovascular health, their muscle strength and tone and keep them safe with the summer heat. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.